So Claire, you've trained thousands of people in the art of creativity at work. If there was one thing that you'd love people to understand about that today, what would it be? The key thing that underpins everything in relation to creativity is trust, particularly in relation to teams, which is obviously what we're going to be talking about today. Because if you don't have trust, you don't have any of the foundations for any of the other things that you need for creativity. You can't take risks. You won't support someone else's ideas. You won't be able to debate. So for me, if, you, if you're going to make me have one thing, then I'm going to talk about trust and how you build trust, particularly in relation to building a team. Hello. Our guest today is Claire Bridges. Claire's understanding of and flair for creative leadership is second to none. She's the author of the best-selling book, In Your Creative Element, The Formula for Creative Success in Business, the founder of innovative training and problem-solving agency, Now Go Create, which has trained over 30,000 people from a vast array of businesses, including Sky, Starbucks, GSK, the BBC, and many others. Before all that, Claire was an award-winning consumer PR and brand reputation expert with almost 20 years' experience in London PR agencies. I'm Robert Diggings, and this is Highly Relational, the podcast about creating, leading, and developing great teams at work, along with all the joys and perils of exceptional and sustainable human collaboration. We have one simple aim, to help you create world-class teams wherever you are and wherever you work. In our conversation today, Claire tells us how the team brain is built on self-awareness, why problem-solving and critical thinking are the essential team-building skills of the 21st century, and why brainstorms are often done so badly, and how to fix them. Creativity. You either have it or you don't, right? In fact, a better saying might be, some are born creative, some achieve creativity, and some have creativity thrust upon them. And this idea that all of us are creative in ways that perhaps we never realised is at the very heart of Claire's business. I started by asking Claire, of all the things it's possible to focus on in business, how come creativity was the one that grabbed her attention? Well, it's really personal for me. Creativity was a really key part of my day job when I was a PR professional. So that was the job that I did for nearly 17 years. I was working consumer PR, working for big brands like Starbucks and Danone and Procter & Gamble and people like that. So I was expected to be creative myself. I then became creative director in the PR agency. I was one of the first people in the PR industry to get the title creative director and definitely one of the first women to do so. This is going back about 15 years now. And suddenly I had this whole agency, 110 people at that time, all looking at me. I used to think like little birds in a nest, looking at me as if to say, OK, oh, this creative thing, you know how to do it now. So suddenly it became much more of a focus from doing something that I had to do personally. And I sort of knew how to do unconsciously to something that I had to lead people to do. And there's a very big difference in doing it and leading it. So that's why I started to focus on it. I then spent two years as a creative director and then I decided to leave the sort of corporate mothership and then focus on helping um, other people to unleash their creativity. 
and in the workplace. So very much about creativity at work. And of course, in general, kind of in the public, when we talk about creatives, we probably almost immediately go to artistic creativity. So writers and poets and people that draw things and maybe people that create beautiful interiors or even design houses. But creativity in the workplace as a thing. Tell us more about what that means and what the differences are and what the similarities are to artistic creativity. Yeah, so I think, as you say, artistic creativity, the way that I think about it and the way, as you know, I studied for a master's in creativity and innovation. So when you get into it at that level, you really start to have to unravel that as well. And the sort of creativity we're looking for in the workplace is what we call applied creativity. So that's much more in the realm of problem solving, critical thinking, as well as what you might think of as being creative. So creativity in an artistic sense is often about expression. It's about self-expression. It's about using your imagination and creating something for the sheer intrinsic joy of it. Whereas in business, we're thinking about how we apply our creativity to a challenge or to a problem often. And that's the difference. So I'm really not very good at drawing. You know, I cheated in my GCSE That's exam. creative. That's creative yeah. in and of itself. <laughs> I traced something. I remember what it was now. <laughs> I remember tracing it and then making mistakes in it afterwards to make it look like. So, you know, I'm not artistic in that sense, but I am a really good problem solver. And I think that's where people can get a little bit unstuck or I know we're going to talk a bit about why people label themselves creative or non-creative is because people tend to think about all of those things that they couldn't necessarily do at school if they weren't interested in art or if they weren't very good at drama or if they didn't want to write then they've been we start to get pigeonholed as not being very creative but actually it's much broader than that I like the way you've ex you've explained that and there may be some similarities and crossovers but this applied creativity you talked about creative thinking and and problem solving and these 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 things are being identified more and more i think that the tony blair foundation has identified that collaborative problem solving and critical thinking relationship building communication skills are are getting attention as being the things that leaders are going to need to adopt as the world unfolds and we ought to be teaching these things maybe in a way that we're not what would you say are the are some of the essential ingredients to orientating a business career around creativity in the way that you've defined it? So I think the first thing is, it might sound strange, but is about going looking for problems because problem solving, the idea that there's something that isn't right in some way and then we can apply our imagination to that is the combination of problem solving and creativity. And that problems are everywhere, aren't they? They're everywhere in business. And actually, if you want competitive edge, what you're often looking for is how do we some do something better or differently from our competitors? So by looking for a problem being customer-centric, looking at different problems your customer might have is a really good way to think about what is an issue or a problem for our customer and how might we solve it. So that's a very easy way to, if you're working in a business, say, okay, what's wrong around here? Even if that's as simple as an internal challenge or problem that you might have. Because what tends to happen is we, when we get into, see something with fresh eyes and we get into a business, when we first start working somewhere, we go around, I know I've certainly done this in the past, is you go around and we say, well, why is it done like that? And then after a while, it just becomes how things are done around here. And then 
then we start to take that on until the next new person comes in and asks the questions. So looking for challenges or problems is a really easy way to, to start thinking about how you might do something differently. Now, some, some people listening to us today might be thinking, oh, if that's what creativity is, we're doing, we're doing that. Uh, our business is continually solving problems. Uh, maybe we, our business exists to solve somebody or a group of people's particular problem. So how come it needs attention if business is already solving problems? I, I, that's a really good question. I think it's a, it's a really almost um, wicked question, Robert, if I might say. There's, you know, we talk about wicked problems. There's so many interlinked parts to challenges or problems. Sometimes we might be saying, okay, there's a problem. So for example, that teacup, the handle is just not placed where I want it to be placed. It's really clear what needs to happen. When we start to bring in things like critical thinking and analysis and then creativity, creativity, I always, I sort of think of it like imagination and maths, basically, is that we might have a problem that needs solving. We need to bring our imagination imagination to bear we need to we need the logic and the evidence and the rational side of our brain but we also need to be able to imagine possibilities and and things that we might be able to do differently and that might just be because we want to do something differently not because it's directly a problem if that makes sense but they're definitely completely interlinked and where does it go wrong then so when when you're doing an intervention or work with a company what do you generally find is happening that you can improve around that process that you've just described? It's a really good question. There are so many different things. Again, this is why I think it becomes difficult for companies to pinpoint. Often people will bring us in or they'll say, we want more creativity. And it's quite a blanket statement. And actually what I mean by creativity, the sort of creativity that I'm, it's like happiness. I might think, okay, you want breakthrough creativity. You want something disruptive. You want something that hasn't been done before. You want to challenge the status quo when in actual fact they're thinking oh no we don't want to challenge the status quo we just want to tweak something or do something slightly differently so I think having a shared language or understanding about what when we talk about creativity around here what are we talking about you know if you're talking about a business I've worked with Netflix for example you know Netflix is a, is a company where creativity is almost built into its DNA they are going to they have done things differently challenged business models, but then they've had to challenge themselves as they've gone along. Otherwise, they would now be obsolete. You know, do you remember when we used to get the DVDs through the post or whatever else? So obviously now they're making programming. It's a completely different company. So the ability to sort of change and to evolve is not necessarily an easy thing to do. So it requires, it's almost like a nimbleness of thought. It requires you to not get stuck in a rut being prepared to be flexible and being prepared to learn. But I think as human beings, we do naturally have that. But as soon as you start bringing in time pressure and, you know, needing to make money and everything else, I think the other thing there is that when innovation can sometimes go wrong is that no one wants you to mess with the performance engine of a business, right? If it's going really well and it's doing really well, your management team, your leadership are often not going to say yeah let, let's look at, let's look at something else let's do something else because we're really focused on what's going on really well today but because of technology and how fast everything moves and I don't know if anyone's used the phrase VUCA the VUCA environment so volatile uncertain chaotic and ambiguous we've got to be able to be able to be flexible so 
but don't mess with the performance engine, but you need to have something, whatever the setup is, you need something that's going to sort of feed into, it runs alongside, but feeds into that performance engine. I call it jam tomorrow. You know, you've got your jam today, but what's your jam tomorrow? So is that a, an advocacy for that happening separately to the day-to-day performance engine? Is that is that a solution that works for a lot of companies is to kind of go, well, we'll have a inverted commas, a creative team who are coming up with great ideas, but we're not going to we're not going to introduce anything into the performance engine until we're clear about how that might work or which ones we wish to run with. Yeah, I think it depends what sort of business you're in. So if you're in, for example, if you're in retail or if you're in something where you're physically manufacturing and creating products, then for example, Marks and Spencer's another client I've worked with, you know, they're constantly looking to innovate their food offer around, you know, diets and sustainability and provenance of food and all of that good stuff. Most big companies will have an R&D team or they'll have an innovation team, yeah, which is kind of working alongside the performance engine to keep feeding those things through to the business. I think when you talk about creative teams, it, particularly in the world of public relations or advertising or where it's a service industry and the ideas are your lifeblood, then you've probably got to have it more into the DNA of the business through the business from the leadership and everybody's got to be able to have a sense of a good idea can come from anywhere. You mentioned earlier innovation. So is there a distinction for you between creativity and innovation? Are they separate things and how how do they uh, overlap? Or, yeah. Because innov- a lot of businesses will talk about wanting to innovate. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a really good question because they're often used interchangeably by businesses and by organisations. I think creativity is still seen as this sort of slightly hard to nail, jelly to nail to the wall. What are we talking about when we talk about creativity? But the minute you talk about innovation, people's ears prick up and it's seen as a very serious worthy there's a pot of money for that over here and the way that the sort of thinking goes or from the the reading I've done around it is that you can have creativity without innovation but you cannot have innovation without creativity so if you like creativity is the the many different options and, and thoughts and ways forward that you might progress with something but you might never do anything with any of those and I think we're going to talk about brainstorming later and that's sometimes when brainstorms go wrong is that we just generate loads and loads of options and then we don't decide what to do with them whereas actually if you talk about an innovation pipeline creative thinking and creative ideas fuel that pipeline but that we then have to go on and decide right which which ideas are we going to select to take forward for you know as our new Christmas campaign or our new products in store at Easter or whatever it might be and then we actually have to find a way to actually bring them into life to breathe life into them so that's the difference you know creativity all day long but without necessarily it resulting in anything but innovation is really about a physical thing so in the work that you do with most of your clients is innovation the thing that the creativity is in service of do you always talk about innovation or are there other destinations that the or other outputs that creativity could have that that maybe wouldn't be called yeah. Uh, innovation. Yeah. Yeah. So um, if you're working, um, I do sometimes work with internal comms teams, for example, and they're just think they're perhaps thinking about how might we improve our stakeholder communications? How might we even get our ideas to the next level, you know, with because they've got so much to navigate. So creativity is often not an NPR going back to PR or advertising. It's often a service or it might be a marketing campaign that's sort of quite it's still, you know, it might appear an out of home or on TV or in a newspaper, but it's then gone. It's not something that endures. You couldn't patent 
most of those things. Whereas actually, if something is unique and novel and original enough that you've actually physically created it, we might be able to send it off to the patent office and, mm. you know, get a patent on it. I just want to pick up on, on a thing. that It was lovely how you said it, and I think it will be helpful for lots of people. You said, I'm not particularly artistic, I, or, or I'm putting words into your mouth. You yeah. kind of said, I don't do um, drawing or yeah. whatever, uh, um, but you absolutely are all about uh, applied creativity. Mm. So how can people listening who perhaps don't think they're creative currently because of the they're not writers or uh, they don't paint and uh, they don't work in that way what would you like them to to understand about themselves and about creativity or applied creativity that they could in fact go yeah I don't draw and I don't write but I am I do do applied creativity and I could get better at that Mm. so there's a definition of creativity which I really love which when I was studying on the masters I sort of felt like it really helped me to ground this idea of creativity and it's uh, by a, a mathematician actually called Dr Ruth Noller she came up because she was a mathematician first and foremost she came up with a formula for creativity which is actually what inspired my book but she said that creativity equals three letters, K, I, and E. And the K, the I, and the E stand for knowledge, imagination, and evaluation. And she said, because she was a mathematician, she said all of these were at the front of those was a bracket with the letter A in it, which for those of you who are mathematically minded means that everything, all of those letters, all the equation is affected by that A. And that A is what you're talking about, which is attitude is about our beliefs about ourselves. And so this idea, and so what her, all her studies and all her work, which are all around creativity, there's so much around our beliefs around ourselves. So the first thing I would say to anyone who's listening, who's saying, I just, yeah, I just don't think that I'm particularly creative, is to really question that for yourself. And if you're in any kind of role where you need to be creative, is to question whether that belief serves you in any way, shape or form. And then to do what you would do with any other sort of limiting beliefs or busting them and think about can I find evidence of where is it true is that true you know there there are so many studies and so many examples about children and if you've got if anyone listening has got children or nieces or nephews or or around kids you know kids don't go around pigeonholing themselves as creative or not creative they don't say oh I can't do that or I can't build something with that Lego or they just get on with it and then actually what happens is and you talked earlier about the Tony Blair Foundation and you know the need for creativity and education and teaching us creative thinking skills is that it almost gets sort of filed the challenging the believing that you're creative the belief in yourself and the, and the sort of pushing and breaking rules you know kids don't know what the rules are so there are no rules for them to break I remember my son coming home from school one day he must have been from nursery he must have been four or five maybe and um, he had drawn a, a landscape, or, you know, as kids do. And he'd drawn a tree and it was pink. And he said to me, oh, mummy, the, the teacher told me that the tree was wrong, that the tree was the wrong colour. And I think that's just such a great example of the rules and, and conformity, you know, that sort of as we go through from being, that's five, start, you know. And, and it's really tricky because you can't have an entire team or organisation that's full of mavericks that run around doing exactly what they like. That's almost impossible to manage, but we do somehow need to ha be able to find some sense of being, it's okay, and I think it does come back to trust, it's okay to challenge the status quo. It's okay to say, why, why do we do it like that? 
so if there's somebody listening and they're thinking, oh, I'm not particularly creative, it might be getting, you know, a little bit philosophical. But I think the first question is to say, is that true? And then to find evidence of examples where that isn't true in your life. And that might be anywhere else. Even, you know, I, I was training a group last week and I had some people from the HR team there. And one of the ladies said, you know, well, I'm, I shouldn't really be in this training. I really like the sound of it, but I'm not particularly creative. And I said, look, there must be things that you wish you could do that, that need improving, that you'd like to see done slightly differently or ways of doing things that you just you think could be improved. And she said, there are loads. And I said, well, there you go. You can use these tools and the techniques and the things I'm going to share with you today to help you to tackle some of those things. So get nosy is, you asked me at the beginning about, you know, what, what would I say to people? And it's just like, get curious, get nosy, you know, ask questions. One of the things that I encourage people to do instead of a brainstorm is to have a question storm. So instead of coming into a room like we are today and then saying, okay, right, we're going to have a brainstorm and let's expect to have all the answers. Let's ask questions. Let What about instead of being, you know, the McKinsey point of view would be, you know, I have to be the smartest person in the room. What about I'm the most curious person in the room? What about I'm the nosiest person in the room? Because we, we can't all have all the answers all the time. So I would encourage people to... Um, just to, to ask questions. And it's often that elephant in the room question, the thing that you think, I'm, I don't know if I should ask, but why is no one asking that question? It's often that question that's going to unlock a whole load of other things somewhere else. I love what you've said. I mean, we'll pick up the brainstorming thing in a moment, but I just want to go back to the attitude. So you're kind of pointing us towards that it's a, creativity is an inside job. And it's about understanding ourselves. And I know that um, self-awareness and, and this kind of know thyself mm -hmm. is a really important part of the jigsaw puzzle for you. Yeah. So say, tell us a little bit more about the personal process or, or the work that we need to do on ourselves to unlock this. Yeah. So creativity and how we express ourselves, whether that is through problem solving or our critical thinking, writing, painting, whatever it is that we're doing. We all have preferences in relation to creativity, just like we do with anything else. So I don't know about you. Are you a morning person? Are you an evening person? I'm more of a morning Morning person. person. Would you say you're a big picture person or a detail person? Big picture. Okay. So let's just say that you're... But the detail frightens me, so yeah. I sometimes want to get into it. <laughs> yeah. But I'd be yeah. better off not. Yeah. But just think about that dynamic. So when you're being created by yourself, right, that doesn't really matter. You can say, okay, I'm going to pull out and I'm going to take the helicopter view and I'm going to look at everything from up here and see what I think the big picture of this challenge or problem is. Equally, we need somebody to be down on the ground, like the little ant side view, like looking up at you and looking at all that detail there. So... Once you understand your preferences in relation to creativity, that's when you can become a much better ally, collaborator, co-conspirator, as I like to, to think about it, with other people. Because we don't always, we don't seek out debate or dissent, really, do we? I mean, in our day-to-day -day lives. But actually, for creativity, what you want is a bit of what I call like creative abrasion. You know, if you're big picture and I'm detail, then this is a good thing because then we can we can find a way to have... We've got totally different perspectives and we will then actually probably make a really good creative team. So this is when I talk about a whole brain team and that idea of you know yourself because then you can start to think about 
how do we have diversity in our thinking? Because we don't actually want all, it's been called, it's called comfortable clone syndrome. Mm -hmm. You know, we tend to, we like people who are like us. We like people who like the same things as us. It, it makes life quite easy. But when we're hiring people, when we're building teams, and this again, of course, goes back to trust, because if we're different, but we understand and respect each other's point of view, then we can get to somewhere probably really interesting whereas actually if we don't trust each other then we'll kind of move backwards we'll shrink back from it and actually we're just going to try to guard and protect our own point of view and the things that we think are right we won't necessarily become we, we won't be good collaborators because we're too we're too afraid of the outcome and I've certainly worked in companies where it was very siloed we all had our own profit and P&L and and we all had our own teams and we didn't necessarily do the right thing creatively for in service of the brief or the client because we were too busy going, well, you know, I want that pot of money for myself. And it means we're going to do that, not necessarily what's right. So when you understand your own preference, and there are loads of obviously psychometrics out there, some of your listeners, I'm sure, you know, will have done, they'll be familiar with all sorts of them. That's why I think psychometrics can just be useful because they can just give you a, you know, a, where are we all? Where are we strong? And then where might we have a blind side? Where might we have a weak spot? Where might we value someone else's point of view? And try to have that to not be homogenous. I think, you know, that sort of conformity and homogenous. Mm -hmm. homo I don't mm -hmm. think that's even a word, but you know what I mean. Well, it's that it's kind of the echo chamber, isn't yeah. it? We're all, we all um, think the same thing. A group think, I exactly. guess, is where we're heading yeah. if we yeah. uh, uh, extrapolated the yeah. kind of place that you're um, yeah. alluding to. Yeah. You're giving me a flavour of, the, it feels very alive, of course. It makes me think of the conversation I had with Neil Malarkey around um, comedy improv, mm. uh, which, of course, is a, a kind of artistic creativity, but yep. but it links into some of the things of problem solving that you're, you're talking about very easily. He talked about creating a kind of structure in which the unexpected and uh, where there can be ambiguity and things aren't predictable and you're 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 kind of alluding to that as well around a team dynamic that has is formed on the basis of trust and an appreciation of difference rather mm. than a hey I wish everyone agreed with me yeah that's quite it requires a maturity though doesn't yeah. it to be able to to stay with the was your word abrasion the mm. The, mm. the kind of well no not everybody thinks mm -hmm. not not everybody's agreeing with yep. me and this is a good thing because something new will come of it yep. as opposed to no I just want the thing that I've just articulated yeah yeah and that's um so yeah I'm, I'm, I know Neil and I know I've done lots of work in and around people who work in improv yeah and that whole idea of yes and mm. you'll give me an offer and I am going to accept that offer and I'm going to have to run with it, even though I, it may be completely out of left field. It may be completely bonkers. And I, I think that's what's interesting about that is that yes, anding something can be a really good way to take, you know, we're talking about a brainstorm or an idea, even in a meeting like we're having now. If I say yes, but I'm, I'm really disagreeing with you, aren't I? Maybe politely, but I'm saying yes, but and I'm going to tell you what I think. With yes, and... Things just tend to, they tend to build, whereas with yes, but they kind of get shut down. So I think the thing is, with, so with all these principles, like with things from improv, you can yes and something for maybe five minutes. It's, we're not saying there's a nirvana where we all have to agree. We have to sort of take the opposite point of view and then run with it. Although, of course, in debating societies, and again, you know, when you talk to debate, sometimes you're given a point of view and then you're switched and you give someone else a point of view. It does have a sort of nimbleness. It does create a nimbleness of thought and just not getting completely stuck 
in one groove or rut. It's been called Janusian thinking. So the the uh, Roman god Janus, January, looking both ways, and the ability to hold two different points of view at the same time is not easy to do. It's, it's not an easy thing to do. I, I definitely think that that then starts to really get you, if you have to suddenly take someone else's idea or point of view and run with it and try to sell it to somebody else, that's a useful thing to try to do. I've not heard that mm. and, and I love it. I'm very interested in ambiguity and contradiction and paradox and, and this idea of holding multiple perspectives that appear to be contradictory simultaneously mm. is incredibly interesting and provides great richness in um, how teams develop and how groups of people kind of work together. I've not considered it in the way that you're presenting it, which is actually this is core almost to the creative process itself in coming up with something new, mm. I guess, or something that joining two things together that no one has ever joined together before. The kind of idea that Apple was built on Steve Jobs's wanting to create a company that was the intersection between the liberal arts and technology, for instance, whereas perhaps other people would go, well, no, liberal arts is over here and technology is over mm. there, as he's going, mm. well, no, actually, I can I, yeah. look at this, it's it's both. Yeah. Let me go back, let's just unpack, because I know some people will have been thinking, oh, brainstorms tell mm -hmm. us about yeah. that, we do them a lot. Yeah. Are you in general um, not in favour? I love your question, brainstorm, so that's a, a, a different thing. Yeah. But a solution-based brainstorm where where we're trying to come up with new ideas around a problem or a problem statement or a an ambition are you in general are you against those or is it just that they're not done well and and they need to be done well if you're going to do them i think they've just become a really lazy default <laughs> for a really crappy meeting so you know <laughs> i don't know if there's any other meeting where you can just say I'll brainstorm in room one, 10 minutes, and just everyone will go, yeah, okay, all right, we're going to go to that meeting. It's my friend, I, I wrote it down, it's one of my facilitators. She, This is what she says about um, badly run brainstorms. She says that they are the untrained leading the unwilling to do the unnecessary. <laughs> and I really love that. And I think she hits a nail on the head. So it, so if you, if you don't have time to prepare yourself and prepare the group, then don't bother having call it a brainstorm, call it what you want, but a really badly run meeting. You know, the idea of collaborating, and it's really interesting because there is there is this sort of historical view, isn't there, of like of the lone creative, kind of the lone wolf and sort of somebody doing something, you know, by themselves. Ed Catmull of Pixar says something along the lines of, I'm paraphrasing now, but, you know, when you think of a movie, if you just think of, I don't know, Cars or The Incredibles or any movie like that, it's a couple of words, um, The Little Mermaid, I was watching that yesterday. But these creative endeavours are, are the results of thousands of people bringing detail and ideas together and to life to get to something incredible. So at some point in the creative process, you're going to need to collaborate and build your ideas with somebody else so there's nothing wrong with a, with a brainstorm per se but I think you need to know what it's for so where am I in the creative process am I do I have a written down brief that makes sense you know you can question storm around a brief for example it's often what I'll do at the first stage it's like even is the, are we asking even the right questions and then once you're convinced you are asking the right questions is to share that with people ahead of time even if what that looks like is you do a stand-up 10-minute briefing and say, I'll give you an example of, of, of I worked on a pitch where we were working for a supermarket. So what we got the group to do was, instead of to come into a room and talk about supermarket shopping, we gave everybody, there were 25 people 
at that time on the team. We gave them all a fiver on the Friday and said, sometime over the weekend, go into your local supermarket, which shall remain nameless, spend your fiver. However you want, but I want you to If it observe... was only a five, it has to be little. <laughs> <laughs> We're going back a while. Yeah. <laughs> okay. uh, so, you know, go out in the wild. Go out and ha- have an experience of what it's like to try and spend that fiver. Do you want to just go and spend it? You know, like, what are you spending it for? Are you just going to buy, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, a packet of crisps and some chocolate and some ice cream for your Saturday night? Do you want to make a meal? Have you got a family? Whatever. And so the richness of that, of 25 people, and then, then on next week, we're going to have a, a meeting or a brainstorm about it. In actual fact, we'd have two or three because we're way too big a group at 25. And what I want to do is see everybody's, I want photographs, I want to see, bring your rubbish. I don't care what you bring, but bring something that has been the experience of what's happened for yourself. And then we'll use that as a springboard. And that just generated so much. Yes, it was anecdotal. It was observational, some evidence, if you like. But 25 diaries, we actually then turned those into diaries, pitch for the business. And we won that business because we went out and did... You know, some we got out in the wild. We it's creativity in the wild. So, we we had a process. Obviously, then somebody had to pull all of that together and, and put it into a pitch deck. But it it wasn't expecting everyone just to get in a room, be creative, do it now, because that just doesn't. We talk about improv. Even in improv, you they don't do that. <laughs> they have structure and process. So the key thing is to know what it's for and where you're in in the process. And in that ex- in that example, you're kind of saying. There's an engagement that we can do. Makes me think a bit about street wisdom. Mm-hmm, There's a, mm-hmm. It's like let, get out there yeah. and engage with stuff yeah. because that will create idea, new ideas yeah. or new possible solutions as opposed to us just sitting here and going, well, what are we going to do about X? Yeah, and yeah, and also then that, that then feeds your imagination. So, yeah, is it that exactly rather than just what are we going to do about X, we want to feed our imagination. We need to inspire ourselves. And the word inspire means to breathe life into. So how are we going to breathe life into? You know, the reality is we might be, obviously we're all working very different ways now, but we might be, you know, I was late coming here today. My train was delayed. You know, you might have had an argument with your boyfriend or your girlfriend. Your cat might be ill. Your kid's ill. Whatever it is, your car's broken down. And then someone says, yes, come on, now you've got to be creative. We need to feed the imagination in order to get, you know, to to fire up those ideas. So this is lovely. I'm so glad you brought us back to imagination because there's a, a, firstly, what is it? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and, and my second question is people go, I'm not imaginative in the way that you've said that they say I'm not creative. Mm. So what what for you is our imagination? I just think your imagination is your superpower. Right? You, you, you can you literally if I, I can decide today that there's something that needs fixing or that I want to create or that I want to do. And I can, I can sort of cast, my, I guess it's casting for me, it's just casting your going almost out into the future, out into just possibility. That's what imagination is for me. I'm a, I'm a big gardener and um, I think it was Audrey Hepburn who said, to plant a garden is to believe in tomorrow. And there's something there about imagination there for me is that you just, you, can, you, can, you have to be able to see in the winter when there's nothing there, you have to be able to imagine what it's going to look like when you you visual i think there's a lot to do i mean we you know people's imaginations obviously work in different ways and we have neurodivergency and all of those good things for me it's very visual so there's a visualization that goes on around 
what's it going to look like? But then there's all the other modalities. What's it going to sound like? What's it going to smell like? What's it going to taste like? All of those good things. Yes. Um, I, yeah. Yeah. So, so we can imagine in in different ways. Mm. There'll be people who say, well, it's about how it feels. Yeah. It's a, yes. It's a kinesthetic yeah. or a, an embodied process. Yeah. So tell us something about the people listening and the people that you come across who say, oh, we've got to be imaginative. I'm not imaginative. What what unlocks that idea that we can all dream or fantasize mm. or think of possibility? Mm. So it's an interesting question. So you talked about Steve Jobs earlier and Steve Jobs's definition of creativity was about connecting things. He said creativity is just connecting things. And actually that idea of connecting completely unrelated things is called combinational creativity. You know, like the anyone who's younger than I am would probably call it a mashup or, you know, you take one thing and another and then you sort of bring it together. But I think if you if you feel like you're if you're uninspired and thinking, you know, how on earth am I going to bring any imagination to this? I don't even know what the thing might be because I think that you can, you know, get excited about most things, would be to go and do something less boring instead. You know, go out and, and, and I think try something new. Just go and try something new. Even try and just go and bake, bake, make something you've never made before. If you don't really cook, go and make something you haven't made before. Go a different way to work. You know, listen to a different radio station. I always think it's, you know, in, in our house, we all want to listen, well, you know, different tastes and and sometimes I'll end up listening to something and then I always find something really interesting from listening to something that I, I would not necessarily have put on myself. So I think you have to, but again, it's about that whole, you, you have to challenge your own norms, your own status quo, you know, whatever is normal or usual for you, the way that you walk to work, what you eat for breakfast, the newspaper that you read, or you know, if that doesn't make me sound 100, 100 years old, you know, the books that you read, the bit of the, the, bit of the library or the bookstore that you always go to. Go somewhere else and just see if that, if having some random stimulus can actually be connected into your challenge. And that is a creative technique, a tool in itself. You probably heard, you know, Bowie, um, they call it the dead corpse, the, the process, where you literally, he would, um, apparently Bowie, when he was writing, would uh, write songs that when he wasn't very happy, he would actually chop them up into individual words, shake them all up and then put them out on the table and then put them back together again. Because that would take his thinking off into a completely different direction. So, you know, do that with your annual report if you work in <laughs> finance. Or you can bring random random stimulus and these... But they, that, takes, um, that takes a bit of a leap of faith, Robert, to do that. And you have to be prepared to even go back to self-belief and to attitude. You've got to be prepared to just try that for five minutes. Even if it doesn't work for you, what did you learn? There's something for me in what you've just said about courage and about being willing to perhaps feel uncomfortable mm. or to be willing to fail or to be willing to experiment. Mm. And and some of that gets taught out of us through, our, yeah. through the way that our Western education happens. Yeah. But is, is there anything that lastly that you could say that might free that up for somebody? Mm. Or, or what's your take on the, the mm. relationship between creativity and courage? Like you say, I mean, that is, it's, a, it's a big old topic. And Anne Nin, I think, said to live a creative life, we, we must lose our fear of being wrong. But the problem that we have is that very rarely, I don't think I've, I've, don't, I've yet to meet anybody in any company that I've worked with that is praised for, for messing up or actually saying, oh, you know, I've cocked that up or I've lost money or I've, I've done whatever. It's not, it's not built into our work, into the way that we work. So I think experimentation has to be taken in that sense of it's not nice when you screw up, but is there a way that, um, you know, if you, if you lose 
don't lose the lesson. You know, one of the key things that organisations need in this environment we're working is this ability to learn, to learn from what we do. And obviously that we can take that back to ourselves as individuals. So if you lose, don't lose the lesson. I do have a very quick tip, if I may, if I've got time, um, which is an in, a rule, innovation rule called the 70-20-10 rule, which is a way to not bet the farm, basically. So if you have a project, let's just say you've got £100 and you're going to do something to you know, promote your podcast. So you would say, OK, I'm going to spend £70 on what I know is going to work. So that might be whatever that is you know is going to work. I'm going to spend £20 doing something a bit more experimental. I've got a pretty good sense that it's going to work, but I'm, it's a little bit more of a risk. We haven't really talked about risk today, but it's a bit more of a risk. And then I'm going to send £10 and I it's a complete shot in the dark. I've got a hunch or an idea that or sense that it's going to work, but I'm going to spend £10 doing it. So I'm not betting the farm. So anybody who's listening who thinks, oh, I just want to do something slightly different, think about what your 10 is of that. And where is a place where you place a little bet, just a tiny bet, you don't have to bet the farm, and see what happens, because you'll learn from it even if it doesn't work. Terrific idea. I love it. I'm going to think about the how to promote my podcast <laughs> and what that 10% might be, because yeah. it sounds... Um, like it's full of possibilities, mm. of course. Mm. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you today, Claire. Thank you so much for your time. You're very welcome. Thank you very much for having me. The Now Go Creating Claire Bridges. Thank you for sharing your time and thoughts with us today. You've been listening to Highly Relational. Check out the show notes for more information about today's guest, and the topics covered. And if you're enjoying these conversations and getting value from them, do please give us a like or rate wherever you're listening or watching. And of course, there's no better way to support what we're doing than by subscribing. I'd like to thank today's studio engineer at Spiritland Studio King's Cross, Tom Ross. Our researcher is Ella Halsell and the series producer is Ollie Giu. I'm Robert Diggings. Thanks for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.